previously on The Outsider. This guy has murdered a child. We got a slew of witnesses. Prince. DNA. Did you kill my son? Is that not Terry Maitland? On the same day, 70 miles away. Poof. Terry Maitland's prints from the Babcock prints from the crime scene. They all match. He can't have been in two places at once. We've got a videotape of witnesses. What we've got beats what they've got. If Terry Maitland is in this, we're not done. Jessa. No! He was here. He was saying bad things to me. It's like he's begging us to catch him. What kind of criminal does that? Do you think Terry Maitland killed that boy? I really don't know. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Talking the Outsider. I am one of your hosts, Ken Tate, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here with you. And I'm joined by my wonderful and talented co-host, the one and only Jen. Hey, it's kind of exciting. You know, um, something that I wanted to bring up right off the top was that HBO decided to uh, broadcast both the first episode of Outsider, uh, Fish in a Barrel, along with the second episode, Roanoke, uh, right one right after the other, which is atypical because usually a pilot is just a pilot. But in this case, we kind of got two for one on the same night. And what that did, uh, I think, and we'll get into it as we talk about this episode, is it really hooked the viewers in to something a little bit more meaty than just sort of leaving it on the open end. We got to see the sort of the uh, the Terry Maitland piece come to uh, its full fruition as it kind of affected Ralph and then set Ralph up for uh, a later time. In fact, the first episode... Fish in a Barrel speaks to how incredibly strong and bulletproof he thought his case, Ralph's case was against Terry, like shooting Fish in a Barrel. And as we move into Roanoke, you know, clearly there's uh, a lot more questions, uh, bigger questions, perhaps things that really don't make sense, things that just have to be accepted because you know that this is what it is, but what's really happening? Yeah. Um, and one thing, too, I, I love the titles of these episodes, too, because they they really um, kind of give you a uh, an idea of the mindset behind the themes of each episode. Right. So uh, and uh, I don't know if we need to go into Roanoke and the disappearance and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just check out Let's your history books. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Right. And that, I think, is what Roanoke is all about. It's all the unanswered questions. We don't know what happened. It's a mystery. A mystery wrapped in a conundrum. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, all right. So let's get to this episode. Um, very early on in this episode, we start to find that uh, our main uh, protagonist... Uh, that's Detective Ralph Anderson is starting to have some questions of his own. And, uh, you know, he's not quite sure 
you know, one moment he was, he was sure who, you know, that he had the right man, obviously because of the steps that he took to, uh, to, uh, bring him in and whatnot. But now he's starting to have some doubts that he did the right thing. So very early on in this episode, uh, we have a, a meeting between both, uh, Ralph and Terry. And uh, I think this is very significant because it kind of lays out his mindset and he really wants to kind of look at his um, look at him eye to eye to get an idea of whether or not that he believes him, you know, use his cop gut. Now, uh, just to to use the whole book versus TV show thing is um, in the novel, his wife, Jeannie. Anderson was the one that told him to do this. She she said, you know what? You need to look him in his eye. And this is like a big deal because one thing is if you're up for a crime, you not, you should not meet, especially you're already in jail. You should not meet with uh, the person that's trying to put you in jail without your attorney. Right. And, And then also the DA doesn't want after they get to this point, they don't want you, they don't want their detectives doing this as well. So this is like a big meeting, you know, between the two. So, uh, I don't want to say compare it to heat, (laughs) you know, the, the, uh, that scene, but, uh, it's a very significant scene. What do you think about this scene? Yeah, I think it's very significant too. It's almost like, uh, Ralph is trying to look into the eyes of, of what he believes is the monster while having these very nagging doubts about whether this is about whether what he first believed was true or not. And, you know, we talked about this in our, uh, in our premiere episode with the book. It's, and it continues to be a recurring thing here. Ralph is very much a cop's cop. He's a detective who is very much a cop. He is following a, a kind of very set in stone evidence based procedure for understanding reality. And we're beginning to realize that both things not only can't be true, but that he, that Ralph is going to have to come to some kind of understanding himself about what is really happening and how to reconcile it in his own head. And I don't feel like in this episode, I don't feel like he's really uh doesn't feel to me like he's convinced one way or another whether it is terry or whether it's not terry like i still think that he has lingering doubts maybe it still is maybe there's a way to explain all of the rest of these things who knows yeah now after this scene uh they take terry maitland to be arraigned uh, and it's a big public event. There's media there. There's townspeople. There's people that believe he's innocent. There's people, more people that believe he's guilty. And it's, you know, it, it's a, a madhouse in front of the court courtroom. Well, and, and, and let's pause to speculate or, or remember, I suppose, that the reason that this is such a big deal, number one, it's a small town. But number two, Ralph did this himself. He right. did this himself by creating the spectacle of arresting Terry in front of the entire town and creating this kind of sideshow, you know, carnival atmosphere around what's happening with Terry. 
So, you know, in some ways, this is definitely a monster that Ralph made himself. Yeah, definitely. A monster is a, a good way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then, okay, just as a side note, as having read the book, this scene is in the book is so well written. Yeah. Like you really feel like you're there just the you know, the way he just, he threw the kitchen sink at writing this particular, this particular uh, scene and how it all plays out. And uh, uh, the way it plays out is Terry Maitland is shot and killed. Um, and we find out is by um, Freddie Peter. Freddie uh, Peterson's um, brother, Ollie. Ollie, right. Yeah, so uh, that happens in this uh, in this particular episode. And let's not forget that there was actual conversation about Terry Maitland wearing a bulletproof vest. And ultimately, they chose not to. That, yeah. They, wow, I felt only hindsight wasn't twenty twenty. Yeah, was that in? Did they do the bulletproof vest thing in uh, the TV show? Uh, oh, you know, maybe I am confusing. The yeah, that maybe was in the novel. Maybe that was just the book. Yeah, in the in the novel, they made this big thing about him turning down the bulletproof vest, which right, right. But see, though, in this one, though, well, he was shot like in the neck or something, so it wouldn't he was have mattered. Shot in the neck, right? Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. So wouldn't have, wouldn't have helped him. And as he is uh, dying, um, as he's dying. He makes the declaration that he did not do this. He wants that the last thing that while he's on this earth to be said is that he did not kill Frankie Peterson, which is which is a big deal, you know, because, you know, you're dying. Most people, they want, you know, absolution or whatnot. And he's saying, I did not do this. So which means a lot, you know. Well, it I think it means a lot to Ralph, who is experienced in this perhaps, you know, not exactly this thing, but experienced enough as a seasoned police officer to know that the dying declaration of uh, either a victim or uh, a perpetrator is immensely important. So just from that standpoint, I think that it it was very significant for Ralph to hear that. Yeah. Um, so that is, you know, obviously the the fallout because of this is that that um Ralph Anderson uh is forced to take a leave cuz he murders Ollie in you know he has to to kill him to put him down so right. um you know which is a, a you know that's something that you know uh especially in a small town I'm 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 assuming that there's not many oper- uh, situations where you have to murder somebody so uh you know, so, uh, you know, they want to make sure that his mental is right, which which ends up happening is they're forced to bring back a detective who has been on leave. And that is when we're first introduced to Jack Hoskins, who right. who's he's hunting boar. This dude is happy. He's hunting boar. And they're, you know he's on vacation he gets his text and uh need you back asap <laughs> you know so uh he's pissed right so um just as a side note uh ralph anderson 
and Jack Hoskins don't have a great relationship with each other. <laughs> so, no. uh, yeah, they're kind of rivals. And Jack Hoskins is kind of, you know, he's pretty much shown to be a, uh, he's not as buttoned up as uh, <laughs> as Ralph, uh, to say well, the least. I, 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 think, I think Ralph actually looks at, uh, at him like just sort of plainly your dick. I just, I don't, I don't think there's any nice sugarcoating way to say he just doesn't like him. I, I, I mean, for, I think for actually some pretty good reasons. Mm-hmm. And a character we didn't talk about in, in the pilot, and uh, as, as the story goes on, I'm sure we'll have to talk about him more, is uh, Detective Yoon Sablo uh, right mm. here. So uh, as as this story goes is going along, he he becomes more and more uh, a factor in this story, uh, also in the book as well. So uh, more so than the TV show. So uh, this is him right here. So he wasn't right. he was in the first episode. We just didn't uh, talk about him because he, he really had a small part in the pilot. So. Um, let's let's uh, kind of talk about because we kind of breeze through it, and I think it deserves a lot more than what we just gave it. Terry Maitland is murdered very early on, so you know if you didn't know, it, you know if you didn't know, and you're like, oh, okay, this is gonna be a Justin Bateman TV show, and right. he's already dead at the beginning of the second episode, and you know. Uh, and he directed to let people know he directed the first two episodes and he did a fantastic job. Uh, what do you think about them killing him off so fast? Well, you know, I have to say that uh, if uh, so, okay. I mean, full disclosure again, just to go back to it. Of course I, I did re- read the book before I ever even saw this. So I, I knew sort of what was going to happen, but if I hadn't, uh, that was actually really jarring. I mean, just putting myself in the position of not knowing the material ahead of time it really did feel very jarring like um for two reasons one oh my god there's no chance to sort of have terry be able to redeem himself through his own uh volition you know there's no what is the best that can happen now you know there's no redemption for him at all that felt very um like wow you know the stakes suddenly just went up whole lot but it also i feel like shifted all of the attention away from uh uh, of it being kind of like um a whodunit to clear terry and more of a okay well wait if something's happening what what is happening what like it, it became more of a uh investigation because the investigation needed to happen and less of a, hey, did Terry do it, right? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Right, no, no, yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry, I'm not on screen. Um, yeah, so, and it really, you know, if you didn't know, it's definitely jarring because, you know, one is he's a big star, so it's kind right. of a, um, it's kind of a psycho type thing where it's like, wait a minute, he's already gone, you know, from this? And, you know, he's a big part of the production part of it, too. So, uh, you know, so that was definitely jarring. And, uh, you know, I and it happens a little later in the book. I'd say more at the halfway mark. 
so they did it a little early, but it, it seemed it worked very well when the placement of it. You know, something um, not to compare this with any other series, but in some ways, this reminds me a bit uh, of sort of the, the kind of interesting timing that True Detective had. Mm -hmm. which was another HBO piece where, you know, the, the, the timing sometimes feels a little bit strange, but in the end, it really works to the overall benefit of, uh, of the narrative. And here, you know, just in the first two episodes, again, because they aired them back to back, it does seem like airing them back to back gave us a, an opportunity to watch what was happening without having the interruption of, um, of you know kind of wondering what's what might be next and so when they kill terry off after that first uh you know after the, we find out what you know is kind of well maybe there's questions maybe there's a good reason how could he be in two places at one time and all of that um the the, the thing that sort of happens then is we end up with this very unresolved open-ended storyline and that i think is what drew, sort of drew people in right because without terry's death to start it 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 does feel like it might uh and i don't know if meander is the right word but it feels like it might drag out a little bit too long and i think that actually if they had done what they did in the book in terms of the series i feel like we might not have it might not have kept people as interested. Right. No, I, uh, yeah, I agree. They did it at the perfect time and, and whatnot. Um, one of the the things that, that happened when Terry is murdered, then we have Ollie is murdered in, as well. So now Ollie's mother, who we didn't say she had a heart attack and died. Right. Uh, Ollie's dead. F Frankie or Fred, I'm sorry, it's Frankie uh, Peterson, the, the victim that started yeah. kicked it off died and then now we have um the last person left is uh is um Fred Peterson the father and right. he hangs himself in a very vicious way i mean where he busts through the uh the window and there's a jogger that sees it and it's uh it was one of those images that they put in the um in the trailer for the series and it's, you know, it definitely serves as it is really sad uh, as well. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's sad. And it's also, again, you know, it's one of those very jarring things that makes you feel like the stakes are so incredibly high here, but it also adds this sense of pervasive, just absolute sort of everywhere in every nook and cranny grief and sadness you know something just so horrible is just so all-consuming that it literally decimates an entire family that i feel like is you know that's not something that you see every day it's not something you experience every day it's something that really feels like wow you know there's a lot of impact here yeah now when he you know, kills himself, uh, hangs himself. Uh, and we didn't talk about it in the pilot episode that there is a hooded figure that we see at, right. at the uh, Maitland house when they were doing the search. Uh, right. We see this hooded figure once again, and I'll put, put him up on the screen there. Um, and he is, he seems to be there 
Ooh, ooh, sorry about that. He seems to be there um, scoping out the uh, what's going on. And this hooded figure obviously has something to do. And he was also at the uh, at the um, courthouse as well. The hooded figure. So, hmm, dun dun dun. Who could that hooded figure be? Possibly the outsider. <laughs> so, uh, uh, um, obviously, you know, the show is called The Outsider. And if you see the poster, uh, The Outsider looks like some kind of uh, creature or something. So I don't think we're spoiling much by saying that maybe this, this hooded figure is, in fact, uh, somebody who is involved in this in some way or form. Obviously we don't want to spoil it because we know a little more than uh, at this point. But um, as you know, as someone who's read the book and obviously seen episodes beyond episode two, um, talk about the hooded figure, showing the hooded figure a couple of times uh, early on. Like, how do you like that? Well, I I actually, first of all, I actually kind of like the idea that there was this, uh, kind of open-ended um, <laughs> shadowy figure is not even really the right word. Just this kind of ambiguous presence that exists that we um, have an inkling that, oh, hey, this might be uh, part of the reason that there are so many questions. But also the uh, the idea of the hooded figure is such a, it's such an awesome, uh, to go back to what I was saying before, it's such an awesome trope because it's so sort of unexpected, but at the same time that it's unexpected, it's also one of those things that's like, um, it, it foreshadows so much. It foreshadowed the idea that you, number one, don't know the identity, but number two, that, that there is something um, sinister about what is happening there that isn't not, it not just isn't explained, but that has some very strong energy attached to it i i actually really liked the way that they did that because it really helped us to feel like there is a connection uh we have in the chat someone says uh you didn't read the book yes i read the book just finished the book yesterday but But we're we're, we're trying yeah we're trying to not spoil the book or the tv show we did a whole book review where we talked in depth uh about the novel so yeah, we 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 both read the book, and we're very much aware. So we're trying to tightrope on what we know, and without you know, we want people to who are not that far ahead to to um, not you know be put off by getting information too early. So um, we're just talking about episode two of the television series. So, but yes, I did read the book. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, but anyway, um, and talking about the book, by the way, so since this person wants to challenge my knowledge of the, the novel, um, this character, Merlin, uh, is totally from the book. And uh, Merlin is an interesting character, uh, is a, someone who suffered quite a bit due to the fact that uh, he was abused and whatnot and uh, stole the van in which uh, our doppelganger um, was driving and left it there um, from, I believe he stole it in Dayton 
and ended up in Flint City. So they are at this in this point of the story, uh, both Ralph and um, Sablo are talking to Merlin and getting um, more information on the the um, the van. Remember, uh, Terry Maitland says that he didn't even he didn't never seen the van ever. So right, and and, and this is where there's like this disconnect between what we know as reality and what appears to be sort of happening on the peripheral edge. Because again, you know, this, this idea that not everything can possibly be the truth seems to come into sharp play. And now we as the viewers understand that there is something more insidious happening, but I feel like if you're putting yourself into the character's position, just understanding that there are that there are now a set of circumstances which both tie Terry to different locations, which we'll hear about um, because of where, because of what we hear in this episode in terms of the, the barbecue that they were at and then the, uh, the scratch that he gets from uh, when he visited his dad. Right. Those things begin to thread the needle of, you know, hey, here's what's going on. Why do we think these things are connected and how are these things connected? Uh, you know, again, from the character's perspective, it must be really disconcerting. But from the, uh, but from our standpoint, we can't even understand what's really going on because how can, how can, how can all of this sort of be happening the, like how can all of this make sense and you know clearly some stuff just doesn't make sense right now and uh just as a side note uh going back to the book i love the character merlin in the book uh yeah. it was you know very very good character and uh it's not played up as much in this but he does have a significant uh part in in the storyline and, and getting you to there you know to uh you know filling in some blanks um I would say, I would also say when it comes to the way that they've tell the story, they've done a great job of moving the threads around so that it's, it, it comes through really nicely. So, uh, you know, kudos once again to, uh, the writers of the show. It, it, it definitely unravels a bit differently in the series than it did in the book, but there are some, I think, important, uh, visual narrative things that happen in the series that give us perhaps even more insight than the book does and again you know the book is a lot of tell the show is a i mean well the series is a lot of show so there we don't get you know obviously internal monologue and we don't get a lot of the same character dialogue as we do uh in the book that is in the show but the show does a really good job of being very careful about what they show us and how they show us this information so it really does kind of feel like there's a lot happening even when there isn't a lot this this series is very dialogue sparse especially in the first couple of episodes there is so little real big dialogue it is so much more show us show us show us and that i think also makes it very compelling yeah um so uh, another thing we have to talk about is when um 
they're granted uh, when uh, Ralph Anderson is granted a meeting with with Glory Maiden, Maitland, right? And uh, Howie Gold is there, and Alec Pelly, and uh, so obviously Glory does not want this meeting. He, you know, uh, Ralph is mud to her, but she does it. You know, she's convinced to do it, and so. Talk about would you you know this meeting and this idea of Ralph working with her and and his defense team to potentially clear uh, Terry's name posthumously. Well, th- so this is where things both take sort of the, the strangest turns and where we kind of get the information that I alluded to before, and where I feel like we sort of get an inside peek into Ralph's true thinking. Ralph's true thinking is everything needs to somehow linear make sense. There has to be some connection and some uh, way to tie everyone together. And he has a difficult time making that work without visiting Glory because he can't figure out how, well, how can all of these things sort of be happening? How can I make sense of these things that I'm hearing? How can I get from point A to point B? And, um, when he goes to visit glory and she, you know, tells him a bit of information. One of the beautiful things about this scene is, uh, glory's absolute stoic body language and posture. There is something so closed off about even just her stilted, uh, dialogue with him. The, The conversation feels very, uh, almost staccato as if, you know, I'm not going to give you any information that you can then now use and go, you know, try to turn my husband into something worse than he already was, even if he's there with the uh, with the clear understanding that, no, 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 I, I, I want to help. I'm trying to make sense of this. And if he didn't do it, how can we clear his name? I don't think at this point that Glory feels like that's what he's there for. It really feels like he's, um, or she's very suspect of him. Now, what happens, though, is the kid, um, uh, Maya, explains that Terry got uh, a cut on his wrist from a nurse at the hospital, a scratch on his wrist from the nurse at the hospital. And that then also leads to another memory about the barbecue. And the barbecue plays uh, a kind of prominent front and center in the, the whole unraveling of, you know, who was where, when, and why. Um, And it also gives us some threads, I think, you know, in terms of us thinking, well, what actually really did happen here? How could he have gone from one place to another? And I know, you know, if I hadn't read the book already, I would have been thinking to myself, well, maybe, maybe this isn't as, uh, maybe it's not as clear cut as even as like I thought it was. Maybe Terry is involved and maybe he didn't know he was involved. And that was in immediately what I thought when I saw that scene. Like, you know, maybe Terry had some involvement and he was like acting under the control of somebody else. And maybe he just didn't even think about it or something like that. The other thing that happens, uh, um, and I, I think it happens in this episode. I don't think it's in the first episode. Maybe it is in the first episode, but we didn't talk about it. Is that one of the kids sees this phantom uh, apparition, which they all sort of say is or explain away as, you know, it's just her having bad dreams. And she says that 
this, whatever this is, is saying bad things about Terry, is saying bad things about, and I think that that's actually very important because it's, it directly speaks to the fact that whatever is happening here, it has a more, it has a wider influence than maybe we even sort of felt like it could have had. It's not just the shadowing uh, hooded figure, uh, it's something else that's appearing to the kid. That seemed very important to me as well. Yeah. And uh, totally is in league with what happens in the book. So uh, very similar. Uh, not completely the same, but similar. And and remember that Glory saw the wet footprints on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what was that about? Why were there wet footprints on the floor if it was just a bad dream? That, you know, clearly Glory is even uh, not, she, which makes sense. Why would you think that anything strange was going on? You wouldn't. That's just not something that you would have in your head as being the first. If I wake up in the middle of the night and there's a strange sound or something unexplained is sort of happening, my first instant thought isn't, oh, my God, there must be a demon in my house or something. I mean, you know, it's, oh, a cat knocked something over or my rational brain takes over and I think of something that, you know, could possibly have caused it. And I think that that was a really good visual cue for us that, okay. Uh, maybe she's ignoring some facts right in front of her face. Right. All right. So um, uh, let's get to the final part where we have the barn. Dun, dun, oh, dun. the barn. This is such a good scene. The barn. And uh, uh, it's not the barn scene, which I believe is in the next episode, but it's uh, the showing that the barn uh where clothes are found and right. these are the clothes that uh you know that uh Maitland was wearing when he yep. was appearing to all these witnesses and stuff like that the belt buckle and whatnot so um yeah so uh to be continued we're gonna find out uh how does all that fit, factor in we'll talk more in depth in it in episode three so with all that said, uh, let's go to you. Um, how can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? You can find me on Twitter at following bliss one, and you can find my websites at critical com, which is moving to studio white wolf.com and movies make the meal.com. All right. All right. And you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson, on Instagram, and of course, the website is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. And of course, we'll be back with an all-new episode uh, coming up soon of The Outsider. Peace.